Today on Act News Daily. DMC is what the program is moving forward uh, under the new farm bill. With this new program, uh, they let you go from anywhere to from five all the way up to 95%. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Full team here back on the Act News Daily podcast. Of course, I'm Delaney Howell. We've got Madison Honkamp, our summer intern, and Mike Pearson joining us again today. Mike, what did you learn yesterday? What did you see? What did you do? So it was fantastic. Had the chance to go up to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to talk with the uh, South Dakota Governor's Agricultural Summit. Myself and Sue Martin were there talking about the markets and uh, what to expect. But I'll tell you, the greatest thing to me was getting a chance to talk to producers in that eastern region of South Dakota, East River folks, as they say up there. And honestly, I didn't realize how catastrophic the rainfall had been. Um, had the chance to talk to several folks in the seed business, and all of them said that if, if they were selling seed, really especially south and east of Aberdeen, they were getting 50% returns uh, of seed. They were definitely seeing huge demand for cover crops on all of these prevent plant acres. It's really bad. Then I had the chance to ride to the Sioux Falls Airport with a group of folks from a livestock feed company, and these folks were from Indiana and Ohio. And I said, all right, what's the story? I'm hearing it's terrible. How bad is it? And they said, all of them said, it is far worse than what we have heard. Um, mm. It is the amount of lost acres is truly catastrophic. They're seeing, you know, 60 to 80 cent positive basis in parts of northwest Ohio. There is a true grain shortage, and it is going to be, a challenge, uh, particularly for livestock producers this year, because they have concerns, especially in South Dakota, about an early frost and what that could do to grain quality, what we're going to see actually put up for energy content in silage. And there are more questions than anybody has answers to this year, was the, uh, the general sense I picked up from the show. Okay, and we had the WASDE report come out today, and it sounds like USDA is still not really taking all of that damage and stuff that's happening into account yet. Mike, have you seen the numbers? I haven't. You know, I, I just got off the plane. So, no, I have not seen okay. the WASDE. I'm glad you threw me under the bus at that point. <laughs> well, no, I didn't, know if you had, I didn't know if you had time. I don't know your schedule. All right. Well, no, I haven't. So bring us up okay. to speed. What did we learn? Well, last month, of course, USDA adjusted corn yield numbers. They kept it the same for this month's report. However, they did change soybean yield projections just down a bushel to uh, 48.5.5 for trendline yields. So we saw that adjusted. Really not a whole lot else that they changed in this month's report. Um, They kept or reported projected corn production to 195 million bushels. And they kept yield the same for corn. Really just kind of a non-report overall, it seems. All right. All right. Well, you know, there, there were some takes that perhaps we'd see bean yields yeah. come down fairly substantially. And Not that yet. didn't happen. No. They did change domestic soybean production just a slight bit. They dropped it 305 million bushels. Because of that one bushel yield, they took off the national yield. But uh, really kind of a non-report it feels like today all right all right well you know that's better than a tremendously bearish report another 38 cent per dare like we saw uh, last monday 
Right. Yeah. And, you know, the, the markets reacted mm, just so-so to the news. Um, soybeans were up a couple of cents, but corn actually was up pretty substantially. And I, I don't really understand why, because the report really didn't change anything for corn's story. It didn't seem at face value, but I don't know. We'll find out for sure. All right. Well, yeah, we'll just we'll keep digging. I'm guessing the market has already just kind of discounted this report, knowing they're going to use 91.7 million acres on the corn side. And there's just not a lot of folks who believe that number is accurate. The I did have a conversation with several growers in South Dakota who were very, very frustrated with the USDA going ahead and publishing that uh, uh, acreage report given the amount of uncertainty we had on June 14th when those numbers were being uh, figured up. Yeah, I think a lot of people are still still reeling about that those numbers that they released. Yes. Well, what, else, what do you have for us today, Madison? What's the news jumping out at you? Well, one thing that I saw, it's an article coming out of Bloomberg, um, and it is the Beyond Meat is creating a plant-based pork now, um, and they are hoping to actually sell it to China. Um, they're really trying to hit China with the, the after their hit outbreak of African swine fever, and hopefully they they are hoping that the plant-based meat um, can then become part of their diet instead of actual pork. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. Mhm. I thought that was really interesting cuz just the um the headline was like Beyond Meat's Asia ally taking alter- alternative pork to swine fever hit China. And as we saw Beyond Meat shares did surge 542% since May, which I think is absolutely insane. So a lot of people do um like them, they are have been really successful, um, but now they are seeing a demand for meatless pork, and they are hoping to sell to China. You know, I feel like for some reason I also saw an article somewhere, or somebody sent me an article, that they're also looking into doing fish products that same way, do like petri dishes or oh, whatever. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yeah, yeah I, part of it was they are going to... They're not only growing like beef, but they're they're starting to develop pork, and then yeah, again fish. Hmm. Just weird. Still, well, their name to me. is Beyond Meat, not just Beyond Beef. I'm yeah. sure they're going to try to get into every yeah. sector. Yeah, I they probably oh, yeah. will. Yeah, especially as it uh, becomes well, cheaper. I had so. uh, what's that, Delaney? I said especially as it becomes cheaper for them to produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess time will tell. Mm-hmm. Well, Definitely. speaking of cheaper or rather more expensive, the last two days we have seen the equity markets touch record highs. The S&P yesterday went over 3,000 points for the first time in history, and today the Dow jumped over the 27,000-point mark, and that is just kind of further confirmation that the broader economy, consumers, the buyers of our products, are doing very well. The low unemployment rate uh, you know, the perception of deregulatory uh, administration policies, all of these things are pushing stocks higher. And I, I assume that means we're going to continue to see buyers for high value protein items here in this country. So I think that was some good news. Well, to follow up with that, Mike, it seems like the Federal Reserve is going to 
likely lower interest rates when they meet here at the end of July because they're showing signs of economic slowdown. The central bank on Wednesday released their minutes from the June report and many officials there were saying or making the case to cut interest rates soon. And so a lot of folks are speculating now that the feds will do that at the end of this month. Oh, all right. Well, that is probably another driver on the equity side of things. Yes. The hope that interest rates are going to cut definitely is going to be more bullish for the stock market. That's true. Well, let's see. Yeah. I've, uh, well, Delaney, what else do you have for us? Yeah, I, I've got an important piece of news here. I probably should have started off with this today, but amidst all of the weather and timing of that whole debacle, as well as some of the trade issues we've been having, USDA is going to give an extended deadline here to sign up for some of those uh, deadlines, including the market facilitation payments, as well as reporting final, really final crop numbers, final acreage numbers. Usually those have to be reported, I think, mid-July or be, I think, July 15th, I want to say. Um, but the deadline is now extended until July 22nd for a dozen states that were hit by constant rain and flooding this spring. Off the top of my head, I know some of those states are Arkansas, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa. Oh, here's the full list. Kentucky, Michigan, Missouri, Minnesota, North Dakota, Ohio, Tennessee, and Wisconsin. So all other states have to report, yep, by next Monday the 15th. But uh, a weak, weak extension there for all of those 10 states I just mentioned to get reported to your FSA office. So then we'll finally hopefully have a pretty good number of what really went into the ground during planting season. And uh, just another quick update here on disaster aid package that was approved back in June by Congress. It's apparent now that that $3 billion is not going to be released all at once. It's going to be rolled out here in stages don't know exactly how those stages are going to happen yet, but it appears it's not going to be just a lump sum sent out to producers. Huh. Okay. All right. So we still don't have really any idea what that's going to look like. No, we really still have no idea. Fun. Fun. We love to see uncertainty when it comes mm-hmm. to bottom lines in a challenging yeah. uh, planting environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got just one other quick piece of news here. Uh, Cargill, of course, the largest privately owned company in the world, reported a 41% job, drop rather in adjusted quarterly profit today because they have seen so many supply disruptions stemming from the U.S.-China trade war. And really, the bigger issue was the flooding across the central U.S. That has drastically hurt their bottom line. We've seen similar, uh, not nearly as pronounced drops for, from ADM. Uh, we would expect to see something similar from Bungie and Louis Dreyfus and, and all of these other m- main grain players who are just stuck with barges that can't move on flooded rivers or they're stuck with rail lines that have been washed out in places. And it is really taking a toll on the, oh, what do you want to call it, the processor level of agriculture. So it's not just farmers who are facing this challenge. It, it runs really all the way up the food chain to the, the processor level. All right. That is interesting. Yes. Well, so Madison, do you have any other news for us? I just have one last 
thing is kind of touching on our dairy topic, kind of corresponding with our interview today. Um, the company Nestle has announced the launch of its new open blockchain pilot with OpenSC. So this is actually going to be mostly for consumers and it will allow them to kind of trace where their milk is coming from. And with OpenSC, they had released a product similar to this with IBM's Food Trust, but um, with OpenSC, they are able to uh, directly trace sustainability information and basically animal kind of animal welfare. Um, basically, with farms, they're starting this in New Zealand right now with milk, and they're hoping to. Uh, go into the Middle East with palm oil later this year. Huh, that is really interesting. Starting to see blockchain mm -hmm. work kind of at a more ground level application. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting because we have, we've seen this before. Um, they're just going to have the QR code basically on um, the packaging and I know we've kind of talked about it before with, you know, beef and pork, but I thought it was interesting that they're doing it with milk and they're taking it more on the sustainability and animal welfare. So I think that can be really good for producers so consumers can see how it how it really does go from farm to fork. Yeah, that's really interesting. And adding another level there for consumers to interact mm -hmm. with. Well, yeah, I have is. just one other quick piece of news here I think folks should be aware of. Um, as of Wednesday, Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer announced that they are launching an official investigation into France's plan to here impose a 3% digital services tax on revenue of big tech companies like Apple, Amazon, and Facebook. Basically, the Trump administration is launching this probe under Section 301, which is the same thing we saw them do here with the launch of tariffs on Chinese goods. Sounds like potentially we could see some backlash with tariffs slapped on some of our products and vice versa from the French including French wines. So if you are a French wine drinker, I recommend go stock up now. But uh, it appears we may see something happen with that. And then since we're talking a little bit about the EU, I did see this story too. Not sure exactly where the EU Mercosur deal sits. There's still some murky details out there, but it looks like they are almost done, if not kind of somewhat done, maybe at the same level where USMCA sits for us. Having that trade agreement in place between the European Union and four South American countries. And they have gone ahead and agreed to protect 357 European cheeses and other foods as part of that agreement. And we will see how that impacts the U.S. dairy industry. But a lot of those GI or geographical indicators were something the U.S. was not willing to put on the table for trade negotiations yet. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there's there's another trade deal that uh, you know we're not we're not a part of, and uh, could have ramifications here on our shores of, of all of North America because you know the Canadians are cut out as well. Yes, that's very true, Mike. Good point. 
Well, I would say if we are out of news, we jump into the markets and see where things close for the day. And just one other quick thing here before we get to the markets. Mike and Madison, we've of course got to listen to today's Hot Rod Farmer Minute brought to us by our Hot Rod, Ray Bohax, host of the Idle Chatter podcast on Global Ag Network. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Farm Machinery Digest website and Idle Chatter podcast found on the Global Ag Network. The small gasoline engine is employed for a myriad of tasks on the farm. For the most part, they are dutiful soldiers. That is, if you could get them to run. By far, the most common complaint is either hard starting or not running at all, a frustration we have all experienced. Due to the nature of their size, these engines are very simplistic in design. A carburetor and a pull start is employed. Most issues are related to the carburetor, a component that is tasked with atomizing the gasoline so that it will ignite. If the carburetor does a poor job of atomizing the fuel, all the other steps skew and the engine is hard starting or will not run. A good indicator of this is a no start and a wet spark plug. Once this happens, the electricity uses the fuel for a path to ground instead of jumping the gap. Since the engines vibrate, it is important to keep all fasteners that hold the carburetor together and to the intake manifold or cylinder snug. Many designs use a rubber boot that connects the carburetor to the cylinder head and over time it gets hard and cracks. An early sign is difficult starting and an objection to idle. When an induction system has an air leak between the carburetor and the cylinder, the ability for the carburetor to deliver fuel is diminished. The carburetor needs to be washed with a carburetor spray and the air filter kept clean. Keep in mind a tired engine with worn piston rings and valves will not allow the carburetor to function and will be extremely hard starting with a pull rope. When faced with a problem, first check for spark and then pull the plug and examine it. If it is wet, there is fuel, but it is not being atomized properly. If it is dry, then either a circuit is dirty in the carburetor or the ring seal is so poor in the cylinder that no signal is being created to pull fuel. Many engines become hard starting and unusable due to a lack of oil changes when they were younger. All right, folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, I'm there now. You can give us a shout. You can get some expert market advice. You can manage some of your marketing risk by giving us a call at 312-277-0050 or visit us on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. Until you heard it on Ag News Daily. As Delaney mentioned, despite the report coming out, it was kind of a non-event. We've got a lot of green on the screen in the grains today. September corn was up nine and a quarter at 4.44 and a quarter. December contract up eight and a half. Finished the day at 4.48 even. Soybeans, the August contract was up four and a half cents at 8.99 even. The November also up four and a half. Closed the day at 9.17 and a quarter. Looking at Chicago wheat, this was the big mover on the day. The SEP contract was up 16 and three quarter cents, finished at 521 and a half. December up 16 cents to finish at 532 and three quarters. 
jumping over to the world of livestock. We've got to take a check in here, and we actually had bids in the cattle complex today, despite the strength in grains. August live cattle were up 25 cents to finish at 107.8750. The October contract up 35, closed the day at 109.32 and a half. In feeder cattle, the August contract up 27 and a half cents at 142.6250. September up 42 and a half to finish at 143.27. Weakness in lean hogs. We did see a pullback today. The August contract was down two dollars fifty-five cents at 79.17 and a half. The October down a dollar sixty-five to finish at 71.60. Of course, we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry, especially as they have been in the news today. July milk class three was down two cents at 17.35 with the August down a nickel to close the day at 1770. Delaney, why don't you bring us up to speed? Who are we chatting with for today's interview? I would love to, Mike. We are talking all things dairy today with Michael Nephew, who is an economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, really diving in today into the new dairy margin coverage program for dairy producers. Well, for today's interview, we are joined by Michael Nephew of Farm Bureau um, to discuss his article on the dairy margin coverage. And Michael, how are you doing today? And thank you for joining us for the podcast today. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I am doing just well today. <laughs> I am great. And to really kick it off here at first, um, can you explain a little bit, you know, what your article covers about the dairy margin margin coverage? Sure. So um, going back and looking at the MPP, which was the old Farm Bureau program for the last Farm Bill, uh, MPP stands for Margin Protection Program. And quite frankly, it, it left a pretty sour taste in a lot of farmers' mouths, it, so much so that they even had to just completely change the name. Um, a lot of farmers were frustrated with the program and that it, it, it didn't cover what they thought it should have covered. A lot of what people were kind of told that they would um, have pretty good uh, risk management tool. Uh, so this new program is called the Dairy Margin Coverage Program, the DMC, and it is it is a lot better than what the old MPP was. They they adjusted quite a few quite a few um, uh, of the original issues, and so my article just kind of goes through and talks about here are the changes that we experienced. Uh, additionally, looking at um, the first, uh, the article was looking at the first four months of the year. Since then, uh, they've announced an additional month where payments have been triggered. Uh, what the payments are going to look like so far for 2019 and uh, what kind of benefits farmers can expect from this program moving forward. Well, now, Michael, let's talk about that because, as you mentioned, there were a lot of dairy producers that had this sour taste in their mouth, maybe didn't weren't really too eager about signing up for the new dairy margin coverage program since it's been rolled out here and we've seen folks being able to sign up for it. What have you seen as far as the process of getting that coverage in place? And I guess the the economic benefit of the new program versus the old MPP program. Well, I mean, I, I think I'll, I'll lead off with uh, probably one of the more important things is that if a farmer were to sign up with their first 5 million pounds at the $9.50 100 weight coverage option under the new DMC. Um, the 
payments already guaranteed for 2019 are above the total cost for the year of enrollment. Um, so uh, we're expecting pretty large sign-up, at least for that tier one, uh, which is the first five million pounds of milk. Um, it's kind of a no-brainer to sign up, at least for that. Uh, I know most of the most of the folks around town, uh, all the organizations are trying to communicate and educate their their members and the farmers that uh, this this at least for 2019, it's already paid for, and you would be getting more money out of the program than you put in already guaranteed at this point. Uh, it's it's not a projection. It's here's it's already been triggered. USDA has announced it, and the payments uh, so far exceed the cost of signing up for uh, 2019. So to to me, that's the biggest one. Um, uh, if, if you want, I can mention a few things on the, uh, a couple of the improvements. Yes. Uh, what, okay. So I have a whole list in front of me. <laughs> so you can just <laughs> well, in, interrupt me with questions. Or yeah. And maybe, things. maybe you can give us the big takeaway changes in this new program versus the MPP program. And, and to clarify, producers can still use MPP or is it just DMC now that dairy producers can use for coverage? Uh, DMC is what the program is moving forward uh, under the new farm bill. So sign up is currently open, I believe. I don't know when the uh, deadlines are off the top of my head, but uh, right now the the farm bill program for dairy is this new DMC. Um, so I think one big takeaway, at least for me, would be that they increased the tier one coverage levels. Um, they added three new levels. So the old MPP would stop at $8 of the margin, the feed, feed, uh, milk price over uh, feed cost margin. Um, $8 was the maximum. And looking back through 2015 or so, uh, there weren't that many months where that was triggered. So farmers would have signed up for something and it was kind of expensive and they wouldn't get protection uh, for a lot of the months. Now. They increased it to 950 is the new maximum level, which added a whole bunch of new months. So just looking back on how this would have performed over MPP, it would have been a uh, definitely much better program to enroll in. Um, that is only for the first uh, five million pounds under Tier One. So Tier Two, they didn't they didn't add that in. So uh, for those who I guess aren't aren't maybe as familiar with the MPP. It's, it's a bifurcated system, so you have Tier 1, which will give you protection of your first 5 million pounds I mentioned. Uh, that's typically enough to cover your smaller farms, about 215 cows, uh, milking cows. Uh, for a Tier 2, it's anything over that first 5 million pounds. Um, that's really designed somewhat to help out your smaller producers uh, as part of the intent of that program. And you can also see that in the cost of the premiums. So with all that Tier 1 uh, stuff, they made it really affordable to cover at a high level. So uh, 950 a hundredweight, uh, to get that coverage level, it costs you 15 cents a hundredweight, which if you do the math and, and take that all the way um, through take that all the way through the the cost of enrolling in the premiums, uh, that comes out to just be around 7500 for the year. And payments, like I said, are over 20000 for 2019. So a farmer would get uh, definitely paid back for his investment there. Um, with Tier 2, they more made it affordable at the lower end, your catastrophic-style coverage. So with the larger stuff, they're trying to incentivize anything in Tier 2 to really be uh, enrolled at those lower levels. Now, I also want to mention this because it's, it's big for those. If you're a larger farm, 
uh, this is uh, one of the benefits is that you don't have to enroll everything under tier one or tier two uh, like you used to. You can now elect different coverage levels for each. So if you're a large farm, you can cover tier one at that 950 per hundred weight level, and then anything over that you can cover at catastrophic coverage at the lowest level. You don't have to have both tier one and tier two be at the same level. Um, another thing that they did is under MPP, you could only enroll uh, between 25 and 90% of your milk. So with this new program, uh, they let you go from anywhere to from five all the way up to 95%. Now that's big for those larger farms is that if you wanted to enroll at the first 5 million pounds, uh, if you had to do it at 25% for 50 million pound dairy, that'd be 12 and a half million pounds uh, just to get that coverage at the first five. So th they really made a lot of tweaks here that really just make the program better and easier to use. That's gr great news, especially for those um, dairy farmers. I have one question, Michael, that, um, but how are these, how is this coverage calculated and how is it determined? All right, so the way the coverage works is USDA uh, has what they calculate as being this income over feed cost margin. So. That's uh, there's a few things that they also change there uh, in calculating the margin. But basically, they take the uh, milk price um, for that, for that uh, month, and it's, and it's done on a, a monthly basis at this point. Uh, but they take the, the milk price, and then they subtract out this calculated composite feed cost. Now, the composite feed cost is they basically went through, talked to a bunch of uh, animal scientists, nutritionists, uh, dairy professionals and, you know, academia, all the land-grant universities, and they came up with, like, what's your, what would you say is a normal average com composite feed cost for, for 100 weight? And they came up with these ratios, so they take in corn price, soybean meal price, and then uh, hay price. So the milk margin is that milk price minus the cost of feed, and then you get this margin. That margin is then compared to that 950, 850. You select whatever coverage level for that margin you want. So uh, if the margin falls below that 950, you get a payment. If the margin's above that 950, you don't get a payment. And that's if you elected at the 950 coverage level. Uh, one thing they did announce on the um, <clears throat> one thing they did announce whenever they were telling people that you know payments are triggered and they announced the sign-up dates is they change the way they calculate the you know, alfalfa hay price. So used to, they were just using plain, like normal alfalfa, alfalfa hay price series, which didn't really reflect the, the reality that a lot of these producers are out there using uh, premium alfalfa hay prices some of the times, which has an increased cost. So you're not getting an accurate margin. Uh, so they, they decided to incorporate uh, premium alfalfa hay uh, cost into it, which essentially means that it more accurately captures your higher costs and you get a better payment out of the program as a result. Michael, we have covered quite a bit of material and, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, this is then this whole program in itself, while hopefully better than margin protection program is still very complicated. How do you recommend our dairy producers that are listening if they have questions, what resources are out there to help them figure out just what is the right situation for their operation? 
So if you just want to learn a little bit more about how the overall program operates and any changes to the dairy program and the farm bill, um, American Farm Bureau Federation, our econ team, puts out what we call market intel articles. And that's the article that you saw and you wanted to talk to me about. Uh, they can be found at fb.org backslash market intel. So we actually have a few articles out just kind of covering uh, the DMC and some of the differences from MPP. Um, if you want to know exactly the best way to enroll your program, your, your, your operation, USDA does operate a decision tool here, and it was developed by a couple of the folks at one of the universities, and I'm trying to pull it up right here, um, but it's going to be under the FSA uh, website with USDA. So if you go to fsa.usda.gov, and they have a section just called Dairy Margin Coverage Program. And that program, will you'll be able to find the DMC decision tool there. Um, and this is University of Wisconsin professors, Mark Stevenson over there. Uh, they helped develop this, and it basically gives you a forecast for the year of what your expected payments are. So you can go in there, and you can select your individual coverage that you want. And it, and it runs through the calculations and it comes out an expected payment and the probability of that payment. So uh, you can play around with it and see what the best option for your uh, operation could be under this program. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for uh, trying to break it down, make it hopefully a little clearer for those dairy producers <laughs> out there. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. And I also always throw this in. Your local FSA office is going to be the ones that you can also talk to uh, if you have any questions on this. Well, again, a big thank you there to Michael. I know that was a lot to unpack, folks, but as he mentioned there at the end of the podcast, a lot of good resources if you still have questions for your operations about how to implement that new DMC program on your dairy farms. Very cool, folks. Check it out. If listeners want to check out any of our past episodes, Madison, where can they go to do that? Well, listeners can always find us at our website at or www.globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. But they can also find us on social media uh, at agnewsdaily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Fantastic listeners. Be sure to check out all those resources. Check out the other podcasts available on the Global Ag Network. Some outstanding work being done in the realm of agriculture and more specifically, agriculture entertainment, I think, which uh, we all need in 2019. <laughs> With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.